Well, as I said, my name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's always uh, a blessing for me to be up here and to uh, walk through God's Word with you. Growing up, I spent many a spring break in West Texas working my family sheep operation. You see, in the, the spring, we mark the lambs. And what that means is we, we herd them all up, we uh, mark their tails, we vaccinate all the lambs, and then if it's a male, we, we dock their right ear. And if it's a female and her wool is woolly and she's white and healthy, we'll dock her left ear. The reason we do that is we want to guard and enhance the quality of the herd. We want to guard and enhance the quality of the herd. You see, we in the fall ship out all those lambs that had their right ear docked because they were either hairy or had black spots or were males or were not healthy. And then we breed those ewes when they're at breeding age, those lambs, when they become ewes, we breed them with very specific rams that have all the traits and all the qualities that we want in the herd. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this process. It's ongoing. It's hard work. It's done with the team. It's done in community. And we have an end goal in mind. We know what we're aiming for. And because it's ongoing and it's imperfect, we have yet to have a perfect herd. But we are seeing progress. We saw progress year after year. Now, last week, Ross taught on what's called mortification. We are in chapter 3 of Colossians, and what we've been looking at in chapter 3 of Colossians is our progressive sanctification, our progressive growth and maturity in Christ-likeness. Now, last week, Ross dealt with the the weeding out, if you will, will of, of sin, the indwelling sin within called mortification, where we actively struggle, actively struggle against the sin within by weakening, weakening it and killing it. Today, what we are going to talk about is the other side of the believer's responsibility in progressive sanctification. It's called vivification. <laughs> you think I would be able to say that. Vivification. It's the enhancement of Christ's likeness in us. It's the enhancement of the new life we have in Christ in us so that our behavior displays Christ-likeness. And so we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. That's, this section is on the vivification. But in order to properly understand our role in this, and we do have a role, we need to backtrack just a little bit to last week, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 and 10 in order to lay a foundation. So this morning, what I'm 
really wanting to focus on, what we're going to be grappling with, is how do we, the believer, cooperate with Christ in growing in Christ-likeness? What are the details, the specifics, our responsibility, our part? And so to do that, we're going to divide our study this morning into two parts. We're going to look at God's part. It's the foundation. Apart from Him, we're hopeless. So we're going to look at God's part, and we're also going to look at our part. Okay? God's part and our part. And so we're going to start by looking at God's part, and that's in verses 9 through 10. And what we're going to see here is Paul's going to lay for us a foundation of two things. God's part in regeneration, which it's entirely his part, in regeneration, making us new creatures. And then we're also going to see God's part in progressive sanctification. He has an ongoing role. He didn't just cause us to be made new and then walk away. Okay? So we're going to see that here. So look uh, at verses 9 through 10. And I'm going to read these, and then we'll talk about them. So it starts with, do not lie to one another. But here's what I want to talk about. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay, you have put off the old self. Uh, The old self being put off is one side of being born again, one side of regeneration. It's the believer being separated from the dominion of sin. Okay, As believers, we have been separated from a dominion called the dominion of sin. And the word self there in uh, verse 9, the old self, it's actually man. And what it is, is it's a reference to Adam the old man in whom we were identified with. We were born guilty. Why? Because we are identified with Adam when we are born into this world. And he rebelled, and that rebellion, that guilt, came upon us. But we have, been, we have put him off. No work of ourselves. God did this. And so, therefore, believers are no longer identified with guilty Adam, And believers are no longer under the controlling power of sin. Augustine put it this way. An unbeliever is not able not to sin. Not able not to sin. That's the state that we were in. The dominion of sin identified with Adam. We were separated from God. Therefore, we were separated from life. And there was nothing in us that we could do to please God. God. We were under the bondage of sin. So that's, that's one side of God's regenerating work in us, okay? Verse 10 shows us the other side of God's regenerating work, where he says, you have put on the new self. Put on the new self. Having put on the new self means that we have been reborn to God, to his kingdom, Okay, And self here, again, is man. Any guesses on who this man is? This man is Jesus Christ, the last Adam. He is creating a whole new people, God's people. And this 
man, Christ has united us to himself, to his death, to his resurrection, and to his ascension. So we are, in fact, new in quality. We are righteous in Christ. Now, for our discussion, what that means is we are now able not to sin. Just let that sink in. We are now able not to sin. We're no longer under its total controlling power. We can now choose to walk in new life with Christ by the enabling power of the Spirit, which we will talk about. So let me tell you what this does not mean. It does not mean we will live sinless lives. It does not mean we will no longer struggle with sin or temptation. And it does not mean that we live holy lives in our own strength. God has not just resuscitated us and rehabilitated us and turned us into the wild, so to speak. It simply means we are able not to sin and we are able to walk in obedience to Christ. Okay, so both uh, verse 9 and 10, they're in what's called the aorist tense. That means it happened in the past, okay? This is a past work of God, and it's entirely a work of God that happened the moment you trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So let's continue to look at God's part. We just looked at God's part in regeneration. It's entirely His. We talked about some of the details. Let's look at God's part now in the believer's progressive sanctification as the believer continues to grow in Christ's likeness. So look again at verse 10. You see the phrase, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator? That phrase, which is being renewed, is one word in the Greek. It's in the present tense. That means it's, it's ongoing. You are in an ongoing process of being renewed into the image of its creator. But what's fascinating is it's also in what's called the passive voice. And I know I'm using technical Greek terms here, but it's significant. It's ongoing, present tense, but it's passive, meaning God is doing it to you. You're not doing it to yourself. This ongoing renewal is something God, the Holy Spirit, is doing to all of you who have trusted in Christ and been born again. So again, what are we doing? We're laying the foundation for the believer's responsibility in this process of progressive sanctification. So what kind of transformation is God doing? What, what's his goal? I opened this sermon with an illustration of the, the herd. Our goal was to, to enhance certain traits, certain qualities. You know, you know, white wool, woolly wool, healthy. What's God's goal here? Well, we see that also in verse 10 here, where the, with the phrase, the image of its Creator. That's what his goal is for us, that we, through the daily renewal of the Spirit, would look more and more like Christ, the perfect man, the God-man, in fact, who displayed God's character to us, and that God is making us like so this phrase, uh, 
renewal, this daily renewal. Paul uses this in 2 Corinthians 4.16 when he says, Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self, the inner life, the life of Christ in you, it's being renewed day by day. Active, tense, passive voice, something God is doing in you. So allow me to illustrate everything I've just said thus far, okay? In terms of uh, regeneration and what God is doing presently in believers. This comes from uh, a theologian from the 17th century named John Owen, and Ross referenced him last Sunday. In many ways, he's, he's the high watermark for a lot of our understanding of what Paul teaches with progressive sanctification. So Owen says it like this, prior to a believer's regeneration, a person's life could be characterized as a dense forest. So dense, in fact, with vines and underbrush that no life existed because no light penetrated and there was no room in the soil. It was a lifeless forest choked with trees and underbrush and vines. This is the dominion of sin. There's nothing in that that is pleasing to God. After regeneration, this forest has been cleared. Not entirely. The metaphorical trees that are representative of sin, they're they're still there. But the vines have been slashed. Some of the trees have been completely uprooted and are gone, totally removed from your life. Other trees God has just hacked away at so that there's very little left. Some trees he's just left alone. And you might not even know about those trees until God brings about certain circumstances. But the point is, after regeneration, light now penetrates into what was impenetrable. The underbrush has been burned away, so to speak. There's now good soil there. And in Ross's sermon, last week, the believer still has a responsibility to hack away at some of those trees, to keep an eye on those vines, that when God shows you a new tree that needs to be removed... Uproot that thing, all by the power of the Spirit. But this morning, what we see is that in this this forest that's been cleared away, in verse 10 here, as we just described, what we see is God has planted a garden in this forest. There's life. There's goodness. There's something good, true, and beautiful that God has planted in the believer. And that he is tending very carefully. He's invested in this garden. And he will not let this garden be entirely choked out, no matter what. In my garden, there's going to be some fig trees. It's it's my metaphor, so I'm going to add some fig trees. When we lived in uh, Tunisia, we we took a tour of, uh, this is a side note, so just bear with me. We took a tour of a a fig farmer uh, who had a grove of trees, and he just said, eat. And I was like, okay, I'll try a fig. 
if you've never eaten a fig right off of a fig tree, I don't know if you've lived. It was the best thing I've ever had. I just gorged myself on these things. So in my garden, there's some fig trees, okay? I don't know what's in your garden. But the point is, is that God has planted this garden. God is tending this garden. God loves this garden. And so if God in Christ has done this and is doing this by His Spirit, how do we cooperate with Him? What's, what's our role for sticking with the metaphor and tending the garden or cooperating with Christ so that we are actually growing in Christ-likeness? So that the garden not only is there, but it expands. There's this old term called Eden, Edenification. It's the idea that uh, Adam and Eve were originally charged to expand the Garden of Eden throughout the whole world. I see that somewhat applicable in the inner man. So God wants to do, and that's what He is doing, and He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But we have a role presently. So, so what is that? That's going to move us into our, our second point here, our part the believer's part in progressive sanctification and cooperating with Christ. And that brings us to the passage I was assigned to preach on this morning, uh, verses 12 through 17. So read with me, 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So what I want to first point out to you as we look at our part are the commands or the imperatives. Now if you recall, I said that because we're born again, we are now able not to sin and to obey God. Therefore, these commands are doable. So let's look at some of these commands. The first is in verse 12. Put on. Now this is a metaphor for, for clothing. Put on clothing. You see, I have my, my coat on. This is my preaching coat. I, I very rarely wear it unless I'm preaching. In fact, I, I stepped out of the preaching room this, this morning and forgot to put it on and had to hurry back and go get it. I mean, it's hot out. I don't think about wearing a coat. But we're to, to put on Christ-likeness. In fact, Paul lists out for us these virtues in verses uh, 12 through 14. 
He's going to specify. Now, it's not a complete list. The, the Christian life is not one of following lists. It's one of walking in step with the Spirit. But this is a very sufficient list for us to look at. So let's look at um, some of these virtues that we're to put on. And they're not random. Paul didn't just cherry pick. Each of these displays the character of Christ who is your life. We have died with Him and we live with Him. So let's look at these. In in verse uh, 12, we see the first, a compassionate heart. Compassionate heart. Jesus displayed compassion for the shepherdless people of Israel. Compassion is mercy towards the needy other. We are all needy others. Verse 12, kindness, meekness. Meekness is often translated as gentleness and patience. These are each an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of Christ displayed by the Spirit through us as we walk in step with Him. Verse 12 again, humility. Humility of God, the Son, is on full display in Philippians chapter 2. As Paul writes on how he left the Father's side willingly to become the God-man and to suffer and serve for the needy, rebellious sinner by dying on the cross. Verse 13, we see this phrase, bearing with one another. To bear with one another is tolerance within the Christian community, all within the realm of truth and principle. Many of you have bared with me or tolerated me as I acclimate to my role here as a pastor, to to life in East Texas here in Bethel. To tolerate means we are all very different. And we can rub each other the wrong way. Okay? But Christ is in us and that supersedes our differences. And that's to bind us together. We are to bear with one another for the sake of the community. And for the good of each other. As we build each other up. so easy to let our differences become the major that we focus on. But that's not how it is to be in God's family. Verse 13, forgiving each other as the Lord Jesus has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Christ established the the pattern for us. He forgave us. But he also established the possibility through his death so that we can forgive. It's a supernatural act of grace. So why is mutual forgiveness so important in the family of God? What? What is the reason for this being mentioned? Well, the fact of the matter is, if you choose not to forgive, a couple things happen. First, you're allowing the vines of sin, the underbrush of sin to regain territory. And it will, like that. And when that happens, what we see is, instead of these Christian virtues springing forth from your heart towards one another, 
Look back at verse 8. It's not going to pop up on the screen, but in verse 8, we see anger and wrath. We see malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. These are all traits of the guilty old man that we have been separated from. Forgiveness is vital, and it's supernatural. And it not only impacts our relationship with one another as seen through our speech or our behavior, but it impacts our our walk with God too. You are essentially coveting sin when you choose not to forgive. And you're telling God, Christ's death is not enough for that sin that that person did against me to be forgiven. The matchless grace of Christ's death for us is enough to forgive any sin. Okay, look at verse 14, where we see Paul saying that love, put on love, love binds everything together in perfect harmony. What this is essentially saying is that it's the unifying force. Love is what brings it all together. And that, in fact, without love, none of these things can really stand on their own. Love is the glue, the bond for a harmonious Christian community. Love is, in many ways, described as putting the other first. Denying yourself. Seeing the need in the other. And being willing to meet that need. At great personal cost to yourself. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Something the Spirit does in us as we walk and step with Him. As we cooperate with Christ. Okay, so that's... That's the first command put on, and we looked at this this list of virtues, and we talked a little bit about each. The second command is in verse 15, where Paul says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Okay, so preachers, especially um, sports fans, are often accused of using too many sports metaphors. But what we see here is Paul is possibly using a sports metaphor. Uh, This word rule is a picture of an umpire making a call. (laughs) Isn't that cool? A picture of an umpire making a call in a contested situation. Uh, We've all seen bad calls, right? The ump blew that one. Or we've seen great calls, usually in your team's favor. A good call. What Paul is saying here, letting the peace of Christ rule, is a good call is to choose the peace of God to dominate the community, the relationship, the circumstances. A good call is peace. Not your own wants, but peace. That's the good call. And so we're to relate to one another in a way that facilitates and demonstrates that peace. Do you see how love factors into this? You have to love the other person in order to let Peace be the call. Okay, so the final command that we're going to talk about right now, there's an additional, but the final one we're going to look at right now is in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, the word of Christ is it's the Bible. It's the word of God. 
And for it to dwell means that through, through study and reading, uh, you, you know it, you memorize it, you meditate on it, you apply it. The Word becomes the predominant voice that guides you in your decisions, your motives, your thoughts, your actions, your relationships. And when we let this happen, we see, we see a couple results. When the Word of Christ dwells in us richly, we see in verse 16 that we teach and admonish one another wisely. Look, we need each other. I need you to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly so you can teach me and admonish me. And we also see in verse 16 that we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. These are songs of worship, of praise to God for what He has done, what He is doing, what He will do. Um, my uh, roommate, first year of seminary, he shared with me this phrase that I'm going to share with you. Garbage in, garbage out. I can still remember him telling me that. He said his dad taught him that. Garbage in, garbage out. What we see here is the opposite. Life in, life out. Christ in, Christ-likeness out. So, putting all this together, what we've, we've seen thus far in this, this uh putting on of this letting the, the peace rule, of letting the Word of Christ dwell. If we were to put all this together, how are we to cooperate with Christ to enhance Christ-likeness? It's quite simple. Cultivate Christ-like character through faith-filled obedience. Faith-filled obedience. Faith-filled means you trust God's at work in you. That He's sovereignly placing you in circumstances as opportunities for you to grow. And that He's good. The work He's doing in you is for your good. And then obedience. You choose to walk in step with the Spirit. As the Word of Christ dwells in you, you choose to obey. Because you know that's what's good for you. That's what's good for the community. That God being life means just that. That His ways are life-giving for the community, for you. So read with me um, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, whatever you do means that there's not one part of our life that's off limits to God. It's His. We are His. We're bought with the price. So, we are to do all things in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? It simply means that all that we do is in accord with Christ. His likeness. All that we do, we can genuinely say thank you to God. So there's nothing off limits to God. All that we are to do is to be done in the name of Jesus, meaning in accord with His character. Is this, is this a high calling? Is this a, a challenge? Oh, you bet. 
Is this too high of a call? Is this too high of a challenge? No, it's not. In fact, look again at verse 12. I want you to see what Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit, calls the Colossian church, what he calls us. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. In Christ we are holy. In Christ we are beloved. So essentially what Paul is saying is live up to what you already are in Christ. You're holy, live holy lives. You're beloved by God. Love others. So it's not too high. In fact, being chosen, we are not simply chosen to go to heaven and drift around. We are, we are chosen to represent God here and now, to display Christ-like character here and now. And God has given us all that we need to do that. Is it hard? Yes. Impossible? No. Will you do it perfectly? Nope. If you don't do it all, are you in threat of losing your salvation? No, but there will be consequences. So, I want to offer a, uh, a helpful step in doing this, in cultivating Christ-like character through our faith-filled obedience. If you remember, I said that there were uh, four commands, or there are, there's four commands that we're to do. I covered three of them. I want to I want to look at the fourth here in verse 15. In verse 15, the very last phrase, Paul says, and be thankful. In fact, Paul thought so much of thankfulness, he mentioned it two other times in this passage. Not only did he command it, but in verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then at the end, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And again, a third time at the end of 17, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Friends, gratitude towards God, thankfulness towards the Lord, it's the doorway through which the path of cultivating Christ-likeness becomes wide and clear. Thankfulness is the doorway by which the path of cultivating Christ-likeness becomes wide and clear. Let me, let me give you an example. It's, it's from my life. And in studying this passage, it's something I've, I've begun to put in practice. Uh, let's say, hypothetically speaking, um, my wife has something she wants to share with me, and I'm busy doing something else and struggling to want to listen. Never happens. I honestly, here's what, I, here's what I've started to do. Because I, I love my wife and I want to love her. I want to honor her. I want to listen to her. I want to show her I care. I want to honor God. So when, when those interruptions come, I think, thank you, God, that you've given me a wife who wants to share things with me. Thank you, God, that, that she trusts my opinion on matters, that she seeks what I think about things. 
You see what I do there? I, I switch it. That when the interruption comes, instead of putting myself first, my wants, my needs, my plans, I think a thought of gratitude towards God. And honestly, in those moments, something happens. I, I am able to listen with patience. I am able to love her. Gratitude is the doorway by which the pathway of cultivating Christ-likeness through our faithful obedience becomes wide and clear. So what I encourage you to do is, in those moments, do that. When you're thinking, I'm going to let sin win this one, don't. Think the thought of gratitude. And a habit you can cultivate in order to cultivate the habit of spontaneously doing that is typically three times a day we, we have a meal. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. At each of those, thank God in prayer for something very specific that He's either doing presently in your life, something He has done, or something you trust He will do. Something guaranteed, like making you more like Christ. Or having secured your salvation in heaven. Cultivate this sense of gratitude. And these, these commands will be far easier to obey. It will become more natural. We are in this as a family. Each of us who have trusted in Christ, we are chosen, we are holy, we are beloved. But we are also what Martin Luther said, simultaneously saints and sinners. So let's, as a community, let's cooperate with Christ in growing in Christ-likeness, in enhancing Christ-likeness in our lives through our faithful obedience, mutually building one another up. Your faithful obedience builds me up. My faithful obedience builds you up. We are in this together. And we praise God that we're not in this alone. We are united to Christ and His Spirit indwells us and is at work. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise You for the good work that You have done and that we are secure in Christ and that we have the ability to cooperate with Him in this pilgrimage of faithful obedience. We pray Your blessing on us. Teach us how to cultivate Christ-likeness. Teach us how to cultivate a thankful heart towards You. We trust You. We love You. Thank You that You are trustworthy and that You love us. We give You praise and honor for that. And we look to you for all things. And we trust you with all things. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.